So yeah, it is uh, it is good to be here with you guys this morning. You know, it's um, it's always good to be together, to be with family, <coughs> even in hard times. Today we're continuing our series, our breakthrough series, and this week we are highlighting power. One of the things about being a Christian, and I suppose that in the West, this is a bit more of an issue than maybe than other parts of the world. But one of the things that's interesting about being a Christian is that being a Christian is kind of pointless if there's no real power. If there's nothing real to what we believe, then it's just a bunch of nice ideas wrapped in a nice story. Because if there's no real power, then all those promises aren't promises. They're not real. They're just nice ideas that keep us from killing each other, maybe. Sometimes. (laughs) In the West, we're tempted to treat Christianity like a philosophy. Just another idea among many other ideas. We're tempted to treat it like just a way you could live your life. But Jesus doesn't really allow for that. The Bible doesn't really allow for that. Either God is real, his promises are real, his power is real, or not. And all the things that Jesus says, all the things he wants us to do, those things are rooted in God. They're rooted in himself. Those things don't matter if Jesus isn't who we think he is, if God isn't who we think he is. So uh, we're in Matthew 8 today because I love the balance that we find in Christ here, between compassion and power and the acknowledgement of reality. I think it's beautiful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that you are real, that you are not just some nice idea that we lean on to get through our day or to pretend that everything's going to be all right in the end. That you are real. Your promises are real. Your power is real. We don't always get you, but we thank you that you're real. And God, we pray that you would be with us today, and that you would make us more like you than, when, than we were than when we came in. In your name, amen. What is power? I mean, there are a bajillion superhero movies out right now, right? And uh, they're a lot of fun to watch, right? I mean, right? I mean, they're a lot of fun to watch. You know, Spider-Man swinging through the city. He webs up a splitting ship and, you know, he stops it. He needs a little help from Iron Man because that's a lot to ask. 
And uh, Thor, right? Thor Ragnarok just came out. At some point, I will probably see that. Maybe, maybe I'll see it on television at home, but I will see it, right? Right, that's power, right? Thor's, you know, he's got the lightning bolts coming from his eyes. You know, he like moves his hand and cool stuff happens. He's got a flying hammer that moves around and hits things and comes back to him. Completely obliterates the laws of physics. Speaking of the laws of physics, Captain America's shield, that just goes out the window, right? He just throw, he could throw that thing like down the street. It'll somehow magically bounce off of seven things, come right back to him. Pretty cool, right? You know, he could pick stuff up and move it around. Superman, I mean, that's pretty awesome. He can fly. Wonder Woman, who saw Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman was great. My wife hasn't seen Wonder Woman. I keep getting on her to see it. She, look, she's, she is superheroed out, okay? She is too busy not liking superheroes. She's, she's tired. Of, I don't blame her. There's like a bajillion of them now, right? And they're always the same kind of story, right? You know, there's just this little nothing, and then they realize, oh, they realize they're in her power, and then all this cool stuff happens. But we love watching these things because we like seeing the good guys have power and win, right? But let's be fair. Is the power to wreck things actually really that impressive? I mean, we're really good at wrecking things, right? We don't need the Incredible Hulk to level a city, right? We don't, need, we don't need superheroes to help us have more violence in the world. We're really good at that. Real power is not in what you can destroy, but what you can create, what you can repair, what you can renew. You'll notice in all those superhero movies, the heroes have to get to someone before something bad happens. They have to prevent something bad from happening. And when it's time for the cleanup, notice the superheroes aren't around. Right? You don't see the Hulk walking around picking up some stuff that he just knocked down. Oh, let me help you rebuild that building. He doesn't know how to do that. You don't, see, you don't see Iron Man sitting around doing some marital counseling, right? It would not be the guy to talk to anyway. He's, he's got some issues. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the guy who's got some issues. You wouldn't see Batman doing that. You wouldn't even see Superman, who's pretty well-adjusted emotionally. You wouldn't see him doing some marital counseling or some social work, right? Because real power is in what you can create, repair, Renew, sustain. When we ask God for acts of power, what are we looking for? We're not looking for him to blow stuff up, right? I mean, maybe some of us are but we might need some prayer. Most of the time, what are we asking for? We're asking for someone's heart to change. 
We're asking for someone to be healed from something. We know. Those movies, those stories are fun to watch, but we know where real power lies. Matthew 8. Jesus is uh, walking along and a centurion. Everyone say centurion. This guy was in charge of 100 guys, right? Pretty important guy among the lower ranks of the army. He comes to Jesus on his own because Jesus has a reputation. Jesus has a reputation already. And he comes to Jesus, Jesus and asks him to do something about his servant. And Jesus doesn't, notice Jesus doesn't ask him who he voted for. He doesn't ask him if he was a nice person that day. He doesn't even ask him if he worships the same God, because guess what? He's a centurion in the Roman army. He almost certainly doesn't. This guy came to Jesus because he heard about him and knew that he had power. And so he thought, why not? Because my gods don't have power. They're just statues I give money to. That was his problem. But Jesus didn't ask him those questions. What was, the, what was Jesus' response? I will come and heal him. Jesus didn't ask him if he was a Muslim, which, I mean, it would be pointless anyway because Muslims didn't exist back then. That proactive decision of compassion. Didn't even ask him, what would you like me to do? He's like, we'll take care of that. And the centurion responds, I am not worthy. Jesus, <laughs> I love this story, and I, I'm sure that Matthew includes this thing about, this story about Jesus on purpose, because he's writing to Jews, and Jesus is the king of the Jews, walking through Capernaum, and he's approached by a Roman, And when I read this, I think of that thing Jesus had just said in Matthew 7 when he says, love your enemies. If anyone was an enemy of the the Jewish people, it was a Roman centurion. An enemy of the Jews comes to Jesus and asks for something and Jesus immediately gives it to him. How many of us would do the same? If Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump came to us and asked for something, how many of us would say, yeah, sure, let me help you? Or, or, or how many of us would give them a lecture on what terrible human beings they are instead? I have to say, I might be tempted to do the second one myself. 
But Jesus would say, yeah, sure, let me help you with that. People matter to God. We do. Look at the miracles. All the miracles in the Gospels, they're not magic tricks. He's not like, okay, hold on while I split the sky open, and then you'd be like, wow, isn't God awesome? One of the criticisms that non-Christians, many Muslim apologists, but also atheists and other kinds of religions, they will say, Jesus didn't walk around saying, I am God, worship me. Well, yeah, that's the point. Because the God of the Christians, the God of the Hebrews, is the God of the brokenhearted. He's the God of the downtrodden. He's the God of the weak and the helpless. He's the servant king. His power was in what he was willing to offer to us. People are important because God loves them. Period. That's reason enough for me for people to be important. God says they are. He made us in his image. He made us to be his image bearers in the world. People matter. When Jonah wanted God to destroy Nineveh, God said, what, I shouldn't care about these 100,000 people? I shouldn't care about what happens to them? No, right? I sent you to deal with the problem. Jesus knew. He knew that he should go and heal the centurion's servant. He knew that he could. He knew that he could. This confidence is born of a union with God. Now, many of us will say to ourselves, well, well, that's Jesus, right? Because a lot of times we think of Jesus as like Superman disguised as Clark Kent, right? He's just in his Jesus suit. He put on his flesh suit and he's walked around. It's like, what's up, guys? I'm just pretending to be human. I'm not really human. That is actually a heresy called docetism. Everyone say docetism. docetism. Right, don't worry. I'm pretty sure I pronounced it wrong. Docetism, okay. D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M, in case you're interested. That's why I think it's wrong. Docetism. But it's the idea that Jesus wasn't really human. That he was just God pretending to be human. But the Gospels don't teach us that. They teach us that he was human. As human as he was God. As crazy as that might seem to us. Jesus' power came from his union with God. Jump with me to John chapter 5 for just a second. I'm not going to bend your ear for that long, sort of. I want to go to verse 19. Again, people who don't read everything will go to verses like this and say, see, this, is, this means Jesus wasn't God. Nope, that's not what it means. Let's read. Verse 19, John 5. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. 
For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus' power was rooted in his oneness with God. He was connected. The Son does nothing without the Father. The Father does nothing without the Son. In uh, the Hindu religion, they also have a trinity. And, uh, but in that trinity, it's not really a trinity. It's, the word doesn't really work, though it's a translation issue. But you have three gods, and they work against each other. Right. By working against each other, they create, they create an equilibrium. Okay. But the Christian God is one being who is three persons. And the triune persons work together in one accord and harmony. That's how they can be one being. So Jesus' connection to God is the source of his power. Just like us. Look, Jesus didn't do anything that we could not also do by the power of the Spirit. Let that sink in for just a second. Jesus did not do anything that we could not also do by the power of the Spirit. The love relationship between them is important, right? There's a story about these seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19, and they decide they're going to go cast out a demon. So they go find the demon, and they're like, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. And the seven sons of Sceva didn't know God. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't care about him. So the demon knows this, and he just looks at them, and he says, well, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then he beat them all up and chased them out. They barely escaped with their lives. Because their source of power, they thought it was in the name, but it wasn't. It was in their connection to Jesus that their source of power came from. The centurion responds to Jesus, I am not worthy, but say the word, and I believe, and I know my servant will be healed. Whoa! think about that for just a minute based on what he knows about who and what jesus is he's willing to say all right because you said so i believe that this will happen i mean we could probably talk for ten thousand years about that that's incredible how many times you say to someone i have faith in you but let me double check right well, you don't have as much faith as you think you do. You don't trust them as much as you say you do. Huh. I mean, you ever do that? I, I've done that. 
A lot of people I know have done that. We're kind of control freaks that way, right? We need to make sure things happen a certain way. So we say I trust you, but we don't, maybe not entirely trust them. <laughs> right? We want to talk to God this way sometimes, right? We want to act like we're God's supervisor. God, I trust you, but let me double check and make sure you're doing things right. The centurion understood that if Jesus as God is God, he doesn't need to check to make sure he's doing it right. We don't have to make this complicated. Either we believe that God is God or we don't. And in the areas of our life where we don't, we'll work on it. Because that's part of our getting reconnected with our creator. There are parts of our lives we don't often trust God. We think we know more than he does. The centurion knew that only Jesus could fix his problem. And so he trusted Jesus to fix his problem. So what happens, right? Jesus' power is rooted in his connection to his Father, right? Our power is rooted in our connection to our Heavenly Father. So what happens, how dare I suggest this, but it happens. So what happens when we pray and nothing happens? Right? I mean, it's easy to stand behind the pulpit and say, well, if you just believe and have faith, everything will be just great and perfect, and nothing will go wrong, right? And then, of course, you step away from the pulpit for 30 seconds, and something terrible happens. And then what do you say? Do we pretend? Do we just walk back and pretend that everything is perfectly fine and nothing is wrong? Or do we wrestle with asking, why did I pray and nothing happened? The Bible touches on this sometimes. In James chapter 4, opening few verses, James hints at this, right? He says, so what happens when you pray and nothing happens? He says, well, it's probably because you're selfish. You ask with selfish motives. Now, that's not the only reason, but it is one of our problems, right? A lot of times we will pray for something and it's really about us, and what we want, and it's not about the glory of God. That's not always the case, but sometimes it is, right? You see, being a Christian and walking with God means that the answer to a question doesn't have to be just one answer. It might have 10. It might have 25, right? Because emotions, they're like weird things, right? They kind of interweave back and forth. It's like trying to, it's like trying to pull apart an Afghan sometimes, trying to find all the emotional things that happen in our soul. The simple part about being a Christian is that we can trust Jesus. A lot of the other stuff isn't quite as simple. But the Bible does say, yeah, sometimes we ask because we're selfish. Luke 4 and Matthew 13 suggests that maybe we just don't have faith. Maybe our prayer is a token prayer to make ourselves feel better 
or just to say, well, all right, I prayed. I don't really believe this is going to happen. Sometimes that's the reason nothing happens, right? In, in, uh, in the Gospels, Jesus goes to Nazareth, and what happens? The Bible said that he could not do any works there because of their lack of faith. So the Bible says sometimes nothing happens because we're selfish. Sometimes nothing happens because we don't have faith in God, because we don't really trust God, right? We're, we're doing that verification thing where we, we want God to answer to us and think that, you know, we know more than he does. It's like that story, uh, that story about the guy who could walk across the high wire over Niagara Falls, and he did it a bunch of times, right? And then he finishes, and there's a crowd, and they're watching, like, how many of you believe that I can do it again with this barrel on me? And they're like, oh, yeah, we all think you can do that with this barrel. And he's like, okay. He goes, how many of you will get in the barrel? Nobody. <laughs> right. With the Lord, sometimes we don't want to get in the barrel. And sometimes, Isaiah, in places like Isaiah 55, 9, or in the whole book of Job, God will simply answer out of the whirlwind and say, you know, you could not possibly understand why. Sometimes we pray and we're selfish. Sometimes we pray and we don't have the faith. And sometimes we pray, nothing happens, we don't know. We don't know. It could be any number of things. You want to know what the important thing to understand about those things is? It's really hard to know which one of those it is. Good luck. Good luck. How many times has someone told you, well, you just don't have enough faith? And in your head, you're like, what? Are you kidding? What do you mean I don't have enough faith? What kind of a thing is that? Like, do you want to go have a talk? I'll show you exactly. Let's go outside. I'll show you exactly how much faith we have. Right. Yeah. I'm selfish? Oh, let me show you how selfish I am, pal. Come on, let's go talk. But we do those things because we think we have to know the answer to every single question. We think that following Jesus sometimes means that you have this list of correct answers. And you have to know those 15 correct answers. And, and if you don't, you're not a Christian. Well, <laughs> I, that is not what Christianity is. Sometimes we don't know why. Sometimes we do. But all the time, our trust is not in what God does, but in who God is. And when he moves in power, we move with him and we are grateful and we glory in what he does. And when terrible things happen, we trust that he still knows what he's doing even when it kills us inside.
Where is our power? Our power is not in the airplanes. It's not in the M16s in the hands of our soldiers. Our power is not in the smart bombs, the nuclear weapons. Our power is not in our politicians. Our power is not even in science, as useful as scientific research is. Our power is in our connectedness to our Creator. Because only through Him can we overcome everything. I'm going to finish with Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start with verse 34. Now, I wish that I had like a, you know, a blackboard, right? Up here, we could be like X plus Y plus Z equals whatever. You know, just do these five things and you will have the promise of amazing, everlasting power. Everything will be perfect and wonderful. But that is a fairy tale. The power of God is the salvation for everyone who believes. Let's read. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You ever feel this way? Hopeless? Keep reading. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our power is in the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our power is in the love of God. Real power is manifest in the changed life of people. A lot of this other stuff is magic tricks. I know real power because I see it when I look in the mirror and I realize God has changed my life. I am not nearly the big jerk I was even just a few years ago. I'm still kind of a jerk. But there's a lot of stuff that's not there that used to be there. And that's the grace of God in my life. 
So I want to encourage you with these words. Our power, our hope, is in the love of God, is in the connectedness to our God. It's in the blood of Christ. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. One day, not even death will get the last word. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Then Pastor Dan will come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you did not leave us to our own devices, but that you joined us in our pain. You joined us where we live, and you changed what it means to be human. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to teach us what it means to be human. Teach us to be great, to be like you. God, pull up our eyes to you and teach us to look to you for our power, to look to you for our help because that is only where real power lies. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.